Think Tank, the podcast with me, Steve Adubato, is brought to you by these public-spirited organizations. The New Jersey Education Association, Wells Fargo, RWJ Barnabas Health, the Russell Berry Foundation, making a difference. Keystone Mountain Lakes Regional Council of Carpenters, your future is in our building. New Jersey Resources, Fedway Associates, ADP, a comprehensive provider of human resources technology and services. And by Berkeley College. Education prepares us to reach our dreams. Be inspired. Promotional support provided by NJ.com. Small news, big news, true Jersey. And by Insider NJ. Welcome to Think Tank, the podcast. I'm Steve Adubato. The program you're about to see was taped earlier this year. Clearly, so much has changed since then, and unfortunately, a lot of uncertainty and fear remain. But the content in this Think Tank podcast and the issues explored will still matter once we get through these very difficult times together. Most importantly, we hope and pray that you and your family are safe. So without further ado, Think Tank, the podcast. Welcome to Think Tank, the podcast. I'm Steve Adubato. And uh, by the way, why is this written down as if I don't know I'm Steve Adubato? We're joining, to, uh, we're here at the East May Media Studio. And uh, our executive producer, our senior producer, I shouldn't have promoted you right on the air already. You're the senior producer of Think Tank, the program on public television, Nicole Swinnerton. How are you doing today? I'm doing well. How about you? Good, great. Were you, by the way, in the studio, we're about to listen to a very compelling conversation we had with Dr. Cornell West, who's a professor, philosopher, author, activist. Did you hear that conversation? I did. We went down to the New, the New Jersey Education Association convention to uh, interview him, and it was an amazing interview. In AC, right? Mm-hmm. I, you know, I was watching it again. It was actually on on one-on-one, our other program was on last night on public television. I was watching it. I was watching people watch Dr. West. They were standing around and just watching him. They were amazed by him. And he even said, and his team even said, it took him so long just for him to get to us to get interviewed because so many people wanted to talk to him. They were taking selfies Mm -hmm. and getting autographs. You know, Nicole, I have to face the same thing every day when I'm just walking down the street. And (laughs) so Dr. West and I have a lot in common. Have you noticed? I'm sure you do. (laughs) You're laughing right in my face. Uh, You know, your review's coming up. (laughs) So here's, I just want to do this. Uh, Lauren, let me get this right. I want to thank our funders, right? And we're going to be going to Dr. West in just a minute. Let's thank our funders who uh, so generously gave to this program, Think Tank, the podcast, the New Jersey Education Association, Wells Fargo, uh, the Russell Berry Foundation, those great folks. We do a series called Making a Difference with Them with our great friend Angelica Berry and also uh, RWJ Barnabas Health. So, you know, here's, here's the deal. What you're about to listen to is Dr. Cornell West. If you've never seen him on national television, first of all, just... Google Dr. Cornell West. When we sat down with him at this convention, he talked about a range of issues. He talked about his view of President Trump as a leader, his concern, of, he calls him Brother Trump, and he, can, he said consistently, because he's a very spiritual man, he abhors some of the policies, but he does not hate the man. And he believes there's a real distinction between that, as, as I do. You can really disagree with someone without being mean-spirited toward them. And that was a lot of what Dr. West talked about. He talked about race relations in America. He also talked about the fact that while he disagrees with President Trump on a range of policies, he was very specific about the fact that he supported Barack Obama for president, but then had real problems with Barack Obama, serious problems with Barack Obama. And what you're about to see in this, and listen to, excuse me, in this Think Tank, the podcast, Dr. Cornell West talks about the fact 
that in his opinion, uh, President Obama became too close, way too close to those on Wall Street. And after the debacle of 2008 into 2009, the national recession, and what happened on Wall Street, Dr. West believes that some folks should have been held accountable. And according to him, Barack Obama embraced those on Wall Street and did nothing to punish them for what happened. And he also talked the racial about the racial and, and, and if you will, the economic disparity of those on Wall Street getting away scot-free, in his opinion. And so many people of color who are poor being incarcerated for a whole range of petty crimes, in the opinion of Dr. West. He talked about a whole range of other issues, and this is an interesting quote that he had about President Trump. And again, we do not subscribe to any of these opinions, but you'll hear Dr. West. He told Anderson Cooper, our good friend over at CNN, this. Donald Trump is, at this particular moment, becoming the American version of Hitler and Mussolini. We have created a fascist Frankenstein. I asked specifically for Dr. West to break that down, explain it. I'm not a big fan of ever using Hitler in any conversation about any public figure or anyone, but Dr. West makes that case. You're about to listen to a very significant conversation with Dr. Cornell West, shot on location in Atlantic City at the New Jersey Education Association. Powerful words. Check it out. I'm Steve Adubato. We're here in Atlantic City at the NJA convention. 166 years they've been at it. And uh, what's interesting about this convention is that there are educators, educational administrators, others. There are folks who have come here, also from outside of New Jersey, to deliver powerful messages. And the gentleman you're about to see on camera is just such a person. He is Dr. Cornell West. It says here, professor, philosopher, author, activist, he is so much more. 20 books later, um, nationally and internationally known, you honor us. Dr. West, by you know, joining us. Brother, I'm the one who's blessed to be here with you, and I want to salute you for being such a force for good. It's a very kind you of you. Put a smile on your father and your mama's face, though, brother. Thank you. you. You're doing Thank wonderful, you. wonderful work, though, man. Um, fact, let me ask you this. Let's get right into this. One of the things that's always struck me about you is the way you talk about race and race relations in this country. A is important. B makes a lot of people uncomfortable. Mm. Being uncomfortable mm. important sometimes? Oh, absolutely, absolutely. I mean, education is all about making sure that we are unsettled and unnerved enough to critically examine ourselves, to scrutinize ourselves, interrogate ourselves. We can't grow without that kind of criticism. Mm. And that's a certain kind of learning how to die. You know, when you give up a certain assumption or a prejudice is a form of death, from that comes rebirth, from that comes maturity, from that comes growth. And, and, uh, uh, but you don't want to unsettle people in such a way that you shut them down. You're trying to make contact with our common humanity. How do we know where they... Okay, let me, let me play devil's advocate if I could. Yes, yes. So, and by the way, Dr. West gave a very powerful keynote address. It was hard to even get him over here because everybody wanted to be close to him, shake his hand, hug him, take a picture with him, because you made a difference here. Why does a convention like this, focusing you have educators and others in the education world from all over the state, but focusing on social justice is a big theme here. What, what in your mind, what does that have to do with education of our children? Well, at the very center of it, you know, the greatest American philosopher was named John Dewey, wrote a book called Democracy and Education in 1916. He said, you can't have a democracy, you can't sustain a democracy without there being a civic education in which people are Socratic, they're willing to examine themselves. And justice simply is accountability. 
is what my dear brother Jeff Stout, just retired from Princeton, calls answerability. 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 Let so me operationalize that if I could ask so you. That it, we Go have ahead. to have dialogue. Dialogue is at the center of democracy. When you and I are having dialogue, you keep me accountable. I try to keep you accountable. We got smiles on our faces. We know mm. we can learn and listen from one we another. We can disagree, but do it. Absolutely. Do it how? Well, one, we, we, we ought to disagree because we often disagree with ourselves. Whoa, 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 wait a minute. We've got a lot of tensions inside of us. We're struggling all the time with what our views are about If we're X. thinking. Well, and even when we're honest about it, let me just say when we're honest about it, because most people think. As opposed to I'm so sure think. about what I think, and nothing or nobody is going to get me off that. That's right. There's nobody I know who believes that every exact opinion they have is one of certainty. There's got to be some probability that leaves open uncertainty. And the same is true when it comes to issues of life, of religion, of politics, of sports, of music. Mm. All these opinions are opinions that are predicated in part on being accountable to others. Why do you think John Coltrane is better than Sonny Stitt? Than Bird. A, a bird. And you say, well, they're not. <laughs> <laughs> they're too good to compare each other. Right. Oh, watch Sarah Vaughn. Let's, let's go New Jersey. Uh, let's go let's Newark. Let's go Newark. Let's I'll go give Newark. you another one. Yes. Woody Shaw. Oh. See, you didn't see that coming. Oh, I didn't. Because that, that's Newark. Woody. I was born and raised in Newark. Woody's a giant. It was Sarah Vaughn. By the way, NJ Pack. Sarah Vaughn Way, if you check it out where yes, it is. That's right. Woody Shaw, the great jazz. Philip Roth, another, the, another the genius great. coming out of Newark. That's right. But that's all right. of these, are, oh, these we, we, people debate about these things. Hmm. It's politics, it can be music. And once you have dialogue, this is what's, why Socrates is so very important, right? Because once you have dialogue, you've got to make that human connection. I mean, the difference is that, I mean, Socrates never shares a tear. Jesus weeps. You see? I hear you. Isaiah weeps. Muhammad so that weeping, the tears make a difference. The you can't just have the dialogue. You got to have compassion. You got to have what I call a, a love. You got to have a certain kind of empathy. So, so speaking of empathy, speaking yes. of questioning oneself, yes. and speaking of those who are on the national and dare I say international scene, the president of the United States, our president, yes. uh, Donald Trump, rarely seems to question himself. He seems very assured of his views. Does that make him, quote-unquote, a strong leader? No. No, not at all. What does it make? That the benchmark of spiritual and moral maturity, humility and tenacity at the same time. That's Abe Lincoln at his best. That's Martin King at his best. That's Fannie Lou Hamer at his best, you see. Probably your father. I didn't know him. But humility and tenacity Why both? at the same time. Why didn't he both? Because humility, you recognize you could be wrong. But tenacity, you got to have courage to take a stand. Because we're not talking about relativism, we're not talking about a, a nihilism and skepticism. You have to be willing to take a stand and pay, pay, pay a cost. But you've got to have the humility. I could be wrong. Does a president lack humility? Oh, yeah. Oh, no. Brother Trump is the exemplification of immaturity, lack of humility. And he's got, he, he's got too much gangster in him. And by gangster, what I mean is thinking you got to dominate all the time. You got to be center stage all the time. You got to manipulate. You got to engage in conquest all the time. So, it, so it's, it's not a name calling, because I've got gangster in me. I've got to struggle with it all the time. And so in that sense, I know what gangster is. And when I see it, you know, both I feel pity, but the fact that he's president, meaning that he is dividing, polarizing, he's so tied to big money and big military, creating possible, you know, all kind of repercussions around the world. It's a sad thing that, that, that such a grand uh, democratic project can produce such 
such, I would say, it's not even mediocrity, because that's a compliment. And I've also, uh, the quote is interesting. Um, we're going to be sitting down with Governor Christy Whitman, former governor mm -hmm. of New Jersey, who mm -hmm. recently, she had a tweet up that compared the president to Hitler and then took it down quickly. Dr. West, you have said uh, about the president that um, hmm, Donald Trump is, at this moment, becoming the American version of Hitler and Mussolini. My family's from mm. Italy. I know Ooh. a little bit about Mussolini. Ooh, we have created a fascist Frankenstein. Franken. You didn't take it. You, do, do you take any of that? No, that? I don't take it back. But, 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 the, but the stress is on the American version of. Go See, ahead. Benito Mussolini was distinctly Italian at a particular moment, 19-teens, 1920s. Hitler distinctively German, with all of the vicious anti-Jewish hatred that's been, that goes all the way back to Martin Luther. American version means individualistic, narcissistic, innocent, always claiming to be innocent. Victim? Victim and especially the innocent. You see, America is a very unique democratic experiment. We've got some magnificent human beings, magnificent features that go into our energy, possibility, vitality, but this claim of innocence, perceived innocence, never taking responsibility for our actions, our words. That's why our U.S. Constitution has no reference to the institution of slavery in it. Because, because we don't even acknowledge that. You're in denial. You're in denial. You don't acknowledge it's there. 22% of your inhabitants of the 13 colonies are not just enslaved, their labor is producing the wealth for your democracy. What does it say about us that we don't acknowledge it? It just means we don't want to grow up. We don't want to grow up. We think we got this Peter Pan mentality. We're forever young. We're obsessed with newness and novelty. We're obsessed with youth. But the distinctive side of maturity, which is vulnerability, humility, you've got to grow up. You can't just grow rich, you can't just grow powerful. You got to grow up. Grow up means taking in your own faults. Mm. And, and again, when I say American, I'm not talking about everybody. Right. Lincoln did it, you see. Mario Rukeyser did it. Vito Marcantonio did it wow, in New York. Google Vito Marcantonio, he's a, giant. a reformer in he's New York giant. City. He's a giant, one of the great giants. He Absolutely. was a lawyer for W.B. Du Bois. That's right. Du Bois was the greatest public intellectual in the history of the country. Influenced you? Oh, my God, Your reading yes. of Du Bois oh, influenced yes. you significantly? Oh, yes, definitely. Langston Hughes? Langston, too. Stephen Sondheim. Stevens. He's not in denial. Act two of Into the Woods. Reality hits. Happy thereafter, act one. Act two, Cinderella meets the prince and discovers he has no there there. <laughs> you remember that wonderful line? He says, wishes come true, but not free. I gotta ask you something. You're fascinated with literature, your fascination with reading, your ability to quote these extraordinary, important works of art. Yeah. How young were you when you knew you were fascinated by reading and everything reading would, brought, bring, would bring to your life? Is, is that, as long as I can remember. Grew up where? You know, I grew up in Sacramento, California, chocolate side of Sacramento, California. I'm west coast to the, to the core. But I was born in Tulsa, Oklahoma. Moved out? Moved out when I was four years old. Yeah. Voracious reader? Oh, yeah. But love to read. Joy. Great joy. Beyond pleasure. Joy. We're talking about joy, enduring things. The joy of reading, the joy of learning. Well, while you're talking about joy, Dr. West, I'm going to bring you back to something. We were talking about Donald Trump. I, I need to do this. Sure. Um, do you believe that a significant number of those who support 
President Trump, who not only supported him and voted for him, and a lot of you watching are longtime friends in public broadcasting, my personal friends, who voted for President Trump, but will refuse to even be critical of him about anything, right? Mm. Devoted mm. to President Trump. Do you see mm. them, because of Trump's policies and his rhetoric and his behavior, do you think it's inherently racist on some level? Well, that's a good question, though. It's a good question. I mean, one for those I, who are just for white. For those, for those, yeah. But let's just first deal with Trump himself. I mean, Trump is. I'm a Christian, and he's my brother. And my brother can be my foe and my enemy politically. But he's made an image of the same God that I'm made an image of, which means he has a, the capacity to change and be transformed. You think he sees you that way? I don't know. You know, I never, I never really talked to him Go and ahead. so forth. But my, my, my thing is not quid pro quo. You know, I don't have to love him for him to love me back. You don't care what you he know. thinks of you. I don't really Go care because this is my own sense of integrity. So my brother is just a human connection. So he's not a demon. He's not a devil. He's a human being who chooses to be a gangster. You see, so that's a different kind of connection. So then the people who are, are attracted to Trump. They got so many different kind of people attracted to Trump. All different it's kinds of people. All the variety, economic reasons. The economic reasons. Some of them looked at Hillary and said, I can't stand Hillary, so I got to go with the other person, but I can't stand that person, too. Others were looking at him and said, well, thank God we pushed Obama back because we looked like these black people were taking oh, over. So it goes hand in hand. But there's a significant number of people who supported Trump who are not doing it for racist reasons. And this is very important. We see this about my dear brother Bernie Sanders, you know? Yes. That when oh, Bernie and I go Bernie. out together, oh yeah, we've traveled, we've done you know, over 75 events together so far. When we go way out in the, in, in, in the boonies, we got people who are fired up, who voted for Trump, upset, and now supporting Bernie. What does, in fact, draw you, and we don't know where Bernie Sanders or Elizabeth Warren or anyone else is gonna be, what draws you to, dare I say, a Bernie Sanders? Oh, I mean, the thing about Brother Bernie is, is that he has a longevity of integrity, that he's a thermostat, he's not a thermometer. You know, most politicians are thermometers. They want to check and see what the polls are before they really utter their convictions. Mm. Whereas a thermostat shapes the climate of opinion, it doesn't just reflect it. He's been a thermostat for 40 years. So that he says what he means, he means what he says. Most politicians don't do that. Is he too, let me ask you this, is he, quote, too far left, too, be elected president of the United States, in your view? I think that if we follow the polls and see what people are actually yearning for, which is security from domination, a wonderful phrase by Brother Jeff Stout again, uh, security from domination, which is not just a matter of policy. Mm. They want to live a life of decency and dignity, and they want to get some distance from the insecurity, economic, political, and so forth. Now, I've got disagreements with Brother Bernie. I mean, you know, we, we, we debate all the Reasonable time. Reasonable people disagree. Absolutely. See, I'm a jazz man. Jazz man, I don't <laughs> want unan unanimity. You know, that bores you. Yeah, and you know, I come from a black people. Our anthem is lift every voice. It's not lift every echo. I don't want people just part of an echo Different chamber. We, you got your voice. Your voice is like your fingerprint. Mm. My voice like my fingerprint. Unique. We're unique, singular. We raise and we bouncing off against one another. But for Bernie, it's a question of integrity. It's hard to find politicians these days. Okay, so I'm going to bring up another name. Who with integrity. I'm sorry for interrupting. We're yes, no, don't get Dr. Cornell West, uh -huh. um, I'm going to ask you this because um, you have along with some others, but you've been a leader, not just in the African-American community, but in this country, 
talking about President Obama. Absolutely. His tenure and his legacy. Absolutely. Which, in your case, talking about him, has not always been pleasant and positive. That's right. What is the problem, in your view, with the Obama presidency, and what are the ramifications of it? Loaded question. And what the heck does it have anything to do with Donald Trump being president now? I know I just asked. Well, I broke the, the rule. I asked three questions at once. Yeah, go but ahead. But that third question about the backlash, there is an element you of real backlash. That. Oh, yeah. There's no doubt about that. We're talking about a slice of our fellow citizens, not, not vast majority, but a slice of our fellow citizens. Enough. Enough to make a difference. That's right. Absolutely. In key states. But go ahead. In key states, too. But no, you see, my dear brother Barack Obama, he and I started very closely together. I supported him in 2008, supported him in 2012, actually. In Chicago. 65 events in 2008, no, all around the country. We started in Iowa and ended up in Ohio the what night happened? before. Well, what happened was I, I told him from the very beginning I was going to be a critical supporter. You see, because, you see, my calling in my lane is to try to tell the truth and be free. A politician's lane is not to tell the truth and be free, it's to get elected. Mm. So when we first met, I told him, I said, what is your relation to the legacy of Martin Luther King Jr. and Ella Baker, right? That has to do with poverty, it has to do with mass incarceration, it has to do with foreign policy and not dropping bombs on innocent people and mm. so forth. So when he brought in the Wall Street folk and bailed out Wall Street rather than homeowners... In 2008? 2008. Eight, when he had the meeting in March of 2009 with the, with the, with the, the CEOs from Wall Street and said, I stand between you and the pitchforks, but I support you, I will protect you, and not one Wall Street criminal went to jail, and yet mass incarceration is still expanding on the ground with poor and working people of all colors, disproportionately chocolate, and when they continued to drop those drones in Afghanistan and Pakistan and Libya and Somalia, and they knew they were also killing innocent people. You see, just as a Christian Did and you, as a person, director, I had to go at him and say, look, that is you wrong, You told him, sorry brother. for interrupting, uh, mm -hmm. Dr. West, you told him directly what you thought. Yes, I did. Was he, you said before, listening is important. Being open to other points of view, that's important, particularly for a leader. As a student of leadership, I'm fascinated by the role of listening to others. Yes. Was President Obama listening to you? I think initially he was, but he got disproportionately influenced by the Wall Street people, the Tim Geithners and Larry Summers, who were so tied to Wall Street at that time, and Brenner, who was tied to the counter-terrorist policies of drones and what have you, and trashing the whistleblowers when it came to surveillance. Manny, Snowden, and so forth. So I had to be true to my own calling, which is to tell the truth, no matter what color the president and is. And him being black, you don't even sit there and go, at no point do you say, you know what, our first African-American president, incredible historical significance, let me back off a little bit. You don't think to yourself well, a second? Well, no, I, what I did was I always salute his unprecedented symbolic significance as the first black president. That's an indictment of white supremacist ideology and practice. Mm. I always give him credit. I love his brilliance. I love his poise. We miss that now with Trump, no doubt about that. But when it comes to Wall Street allowing the unaccountability, back to our issue again, when it comes to drones, when it comes to surveillance, and it took him too long for me to talk about the new Jim Crow. It took him seven years before he had any moves against the mass incarceration system. Whereas when it comes to our poor and working people, you got to hit that head on, just like you got to hit the school. Do you think he ducked it? Let me ask you this. And he then ducked it for political reasons. Do you think, okay, let Strategic me, let me. Strategy, strategy. So you think if he did that too early on, you think he thought, listen, we're doing a lot of 
you know, uh, trying to figure out what's up, that if he had done that, that there were too many white Americans who said, wait a minute, hold on. Is that right? I, I think so. I think it's not just him, but that's how politicians think. They've got to be very calculating in terms of what they do and well, what can you they say. That? I can respect that within the context if, in fact, it's still moving in the right direction. But my calling is not to be strategic. We're in different lanes. You see, we, we got different lanes. My calling is to try to be a truth teller and a witness bearer and pursue truth given my own failures and falsehoods. Not to win. It's not that, well, I want to win in terms of making sure the issues are visible and the people's humanity are accessed. That's winning. That's a certain kind of we'll, winning. We'll go back because the last part of the question I asked is what do you think President Obama's presidency, Barack Obama's presidency, had anything to do, if at all, Dr. West, mm -hmm. with Donald Trump being elected president? No, I think that there was a slice of our fellow citizens who got the impression that black people were running things and they didn't want to be in a situation where black leadership was dictating their destiny. Now, the irony was Obama's leadership was tied to Wall Street, tied to military-industrial complex. Pretty white. He didn't say too much about race. I mean, he, he wouldn't say too much about race. And I, I would say over and over again, I'm not talking about race just in terms of skin pigmentation. Mm, mm. Race is about integrity, honesty, decency, generosity, and the humanity of people who have been hated and dominated. Mm. I would say exactly the same thing if we had a black supremacist civilization and white brothers and sisters have been enslaved for 400 years, enslaved for 244 years, Jim Crow mm. for 100 years, and you got white bodies hanging from trees where you had black fight, then you got to be in solidarity with, the, with yeah. the white brothers, because it's yeah. a moral and spiritual issue. By the way, as Dr. West talks about this, do, do yourself a favor, go on our PBS website, um, Dr. Gates. Or Henry, Henry Lewis Gates. important work. Yeah, uh, Henry Lewis Gates, that's really important work, talking about the lynchings that went on in our country after the Civil War and the, and, and the museum that is dedicated to yeah, telling Brian, that part of the that's story. That's Brian Stevenson. That, that's yeah, tremendous. Yeah, that's brother, brother, brother Brian down in Montgomery. I saw that interview. Let me ask Absolutely. you this in a couple minutes we have. Um, when it comes to race and our ability to talk to each other, yes, yes, openly, honestly, with respect, as opposed to who are you with, Trump or not? Right. Are you here right. or are you here? Right. But I'm not saying Trump is all about race. What I'm asking is, how, how hopeful are you Dr. West, that we moving forward can have meaningful, respectful dialogue without all the vitriol and hate. Loaded question, I know, as we finish up. No, the thing is, we've got to first begin with ourselves. Are we willing to make sure we revel in the humanity of other people even when we disagree with them? To give them the benefit of being right or wrong, recognizing we can be right or wrong, and then pursue the dialogue together. As opposed to demonizing them, they must be bad people if they don't agree with that's me. Right. No, that's not, and that's just not true because all of us have various kind of blindnesses. All of us have various kind of shortcomings and myopia. And to the degree to which we think we're pure, is it agreed with we're just reproducing the myth of America ourselves? We're so innocent. So you got a lot of liberal self-righteousness out there. Liberal self-righteousness. Oh, yeah, they look down on the working people, look down on conservative people, think that somehow they've got access to a truth, and these folk are just ignorant. That's innocence, too. We were criticizing the innocence mm. at the beginning. All of us have failures. Try again, fail again, fail better, mm. as Samuel Beckett. Try again, fail again, fail better. All of us have certain elements of failure built inside of who we are. The question is, can we act in the best of who we are? Because all of us have 
some real potential. But I tell you what, you still sound optimistic to me. Well, I'm full of hope, not optimistic. I'm a prisoner of What's hope, but not optimistic. Real quick, what's the difference? Hope, hope means you're going to keep moving regardless of what the circumstances are. No matter what the evidence is, you keep loving, you keep fighting, you keep fighting for justice. Optimism means, what does the evidence look like? Does, does it look like it <laughs> you're not even us? looking for evidence. Well, you're I'm just not looking for evidence. That's ex exactly right. Well, Indeed. let me say this. I am hopeful, and I'm also optimistic and confident that folks who took the time to watch and listen to Dr. Cornell West for this very in-depth interview here in Atlantic City at the New Jersey Education Association will be better for it because they'll be questioning themselves. And uh, I cannot thank you enough. You but honor us. As long as your show is on, that's a sign of hope right there. I'm using that endorsement, Dr. West. Oh, please. <laughs> I, I say yes. Thank you. I'm in your corner, brother. Appreciate it. Uh, we are in yours. No, I'm Steve Adubato. That, more, way more importantly, is Dr. Cornell West, and we, uh, we thank you for staying with us. Catch you next time. You may not have heard of TAVR. Raj and Sandhya have. It's the minimally invasive alternative to open heart valve replacement. RWJ Barnabas Health is New Jersey's leading TAVR provider, and we continue to perfect it. Patients are often back to their lives in just a few days. Innovative valve replacement surgery because you can't be replaced. RWJ Barnabas Health. Let's be healthy together. Think Tank, the podcast with me, Steve Adubato, is brought to you by these public-spirited organizations. The New Jersey Education Association, Wells Fargo, RWJ Barnabas Health, the Russell Berry Foundation, Keystone Mountain Lakes Regional Council of Carpenters, New Jersey Resources, Fedway Associates, ADP, and by Berkeley College. Promotional support provided by NJ.com and by Insider NJ.